This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Warning! The following podcast contains adult language, adult content, weird and unusual stories that all happen to be true. We didn't start this war on safety, but we're going to fight that safety war and we're going to win it. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome back to Safety Wars for 2022. I hope everybody out there is feeling healthy and is able to navigate the ongoing COVID crisis. In case you have not heard, the U.S. Supreme Court shot down the uh, for the emergency temporary standard under OSHA, uh, but retained the standard for healthcare workers. More on that next week. I'm sure I haven't had a chance to read the actual decision, so I'm going to withhold comment on it. If you don't do it, I suggest you go to a really good safety-related show on this network, the Rated R Safety Show, hosted by Jay Allen. He's on Safety FM and also on Radio Big, where you can go there through Live 365 every morning. This past Monday, Jay was talking about paying for the sins of the last safety professional who was in your position. So this could be where you come into a new job and where the old safety professional left, or you're a consultant and you're coming in and you have to manage what a prior person had done. And what happened, and it could also be that you're dealing on a construction job uh, and you have workers coming in from a different project and you have to deal with what that old safety professional allegedly or did or didn't say or do and everything else. I had to deal with that recently. We'll go on in a minute. So uh, what does this mean? We often go on to construction jobs. So the scenario looks something like this especially for us here at JCB Technical slash Safety Wars. We go on to a construction job, we're contracted as a third-party oversight, and the workforce either has had a real bad experience with a safety professional before us or at another job. They may not have been one of those donuts and coffee safety professionals where they just hang out in the trailer all day and that's all they do is eat donuts and drink coffee. Uh, they're encouraged and incentivized not to do their job and to hang out, and the oversight people pretty much leave everyone alone. And that's not what we do here. We pretty, pretty much try to do our job and do things like care for the workforce and for the liabilities of our clients. And basically, it's, it could be called safety on paper also. This is a huge issue with fall protection policies. So fall protection is extremely difficult to manage, especially if you do not have the training or the inclination to go and get the training and find out about fall protection. So you hear this type of stuff like, well... You need to wear a yo-yo, you need to wear an SRL at six foot or higher, blah, 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 blah. And there are other things that you could do. For example, eliminate the fall hazard. Fall protection isn't all automatically the thing to do. You have things to worry about like fall protection distances and things of that nature. And you, you may not have a competent person, a real competent person who's able to fix hazards. So this causes issues, big issues, usually on the jobs. And now we have the ongoing mask policies, which have been compounded by conflicting government policies. What about some of the other things you have to deal with? The incentives at the job, this is number one, I have five. Incentives at the job are against safety, and safety is considered a waste of time and eats away at production. Number two, the workforce is allowed to fall into bad work habits. Number three, the management will never be held responsible financially for a safe project without losses, but only for a project finishing on or ahead of schedule and within budget. So there's no incentive for people to actually work safely. These could be written policies. These could be implied policies. Uh, these could also be uh, 
unspoken policies. So for example, I ran into it uh, many times. Well, he was a big pain in the butt with safety and he made us work safely. And uh, you know, we don't want safety professionals that way. We don't want them back. And then you point out that you had no accidents, incidents, or illnesses on this job. So you had no losses, so you made money. On a normal job, you have several losses and everything else. And then you tell, and then they point out to you, well, the him, the henna, that's not what we were here. We're here to build the building, build the road, get the job done load by load. We're not here to work safely. And then you find out, and you only find this out through experience or from listening to this program, that the line items on a budget on a company budget or what have you for losses related to safety are on a different line than the one for profits or a different part of the budget uh, than the profits and for each job so basically the people who are making decisions to work unsafe are never held financially or professionally responsible that's an issue you get here's number four you get an inexperienced safety professional that gets hired deliberately right who does not know about the regulations or industry standards this is one of the hardest things to manage because you're dealing with a safety professional that may have had a 30-hour outreach course, may have had uh, come from a different organization, a different type of safety work, and now they have to go and they're learning how to do construction safety or general industry safety or shipyards or anything like that. That's a very difficult thing to manage, especially if you're working for a general contractor. Number five, the safety professional is not given the resources or authority to get the job done. So you tell someone, for example, you have to put on fall protection. They say, I don't have to listen to you. You're not the foreman. And then they give the safety professional all the responsibility for not, for people not doing what they're supposed to, for the incentive program that's not existent, that is working against you and everything else. Now you're responsible. And when someone gets hurt, oh, well, it's the safety professional's fault. By the way, this is why I left the corporate job, right? Was specifically reason number five. This can go the other way too. We mentioned this way. How about, what's the other way? You deal with a fallout from a safety professional that are incentivized to go overboard and are, and are antagonistic, to say the least. I shared a story with Brent Sutton last year on his podcast about the story of two safety professionals that worked on a project in the mid-2000s at a facility in Central Jersey. They and their management pissed off the workforce so much and everybody else, and they were so unreasonable, even by New Jersey standards, that uh, safety was impossible to manage at that facility for seven years after they left. It may have been more. And no one listened to safety because of them. And as uh, because it's guilt by association, everybody hated them. Hated them, safety, everybody. It was like a nightmare situation. As a matter of fact, I was on a project 600 miles away in Logan, Ohio, and I was asked to remove a t-shirt from that company because people wanted to literally kill anyone from that company. And they named the people that they had problems with by name and the rest of the management group. Now, you talk about a PTSD type of work environment. Now, how do you manage this? All these things. You have to make it clear that you are not the old managers, number one. If you have the situation where someone says, they didn't enforce fall protection rules at the last job, what do I always say? Well, what was their name? And you ask for the safety professional's name. They don't have it, of course. And I say, look, I cannot explain why they were allowing you to break federal law and OSHA regulations and everything else, why they weren't doing their job. Perhaps we could call them up together and you could confront them and stop taking it out on me. Why don't you do that? Or maybe your shop steward or union should have done that. Or maybe another employee representative or someone from the old company should have taken it up with those people. 
So what else? Number two, train the workers and their responsibilities and remind them of it. Now get their shop steward, foreman, or other manager involved. The, the employer makes people responsible for things that they don't know about, and that's a big issue. You have to train the employee. Take a couple of minutes out. I don't mean a formal training thing. Just mention something for two minutes. They're on break or whatever. They strike up a conversation with you and you say, hey, look, this is why we do X, Y, and Z. Now you're building a relationship with them. You're working with them. Maybe you're sharing some blood, sweat, equity with them. If the managers don't enforce the rules, is the other thing. You want to make sure you document all of this. We talk about that all the time. Because I assure you, if... If that employee gets hurt, you're probably going to be the one getting blamed for that. For not doing your job, not doing training, not developing leadership, not having a relationship with these folks. That's part of your job. But on the other hand, you need to cover your rear end on this. You have to make sure things are documented, be clear what the rules are, what the policy is, and what the regulation are. When something happens, you're in a better position, but don't leave it at that. If a supervisor is refusing to enforce a rule or allowing you to enforce a rule or a policy or motivate the workers and is undermining you, you have to, uh, you know, you have to resolve it. The, the ultimate piece of baloney that I get is this. He is too important or a key person, so we can't enforce the rule. We can't aggravate him. Otherwise, he's going to leave. Really? If that's the case, you document it and you pass it up the line. So what's the point here? How do you deal with this stuff? Like this, you know, it all depends on what you have to work with. You got to work with people where they are. If you work with people who are mature, fully self-actualized, are not psychologically damaged, without personality disorders, and in an environment that's psychologically safe, it's pretty easy to deal with. And, but we know that that's usually not the case. So what do you do? You need to develop relationships, do your job. Chances are, if you're a safety professional, you are responsible to one degree or another to do safety, right? Some organizations hire people just to put an X on a checklist. You don't have the authority and everything else. You need to realize that. And you need to do a transition to more of a leadership position. But realize some organizations do not allow that. Some organizations are okay with people being hurt. Or like I recently heard from someone, I don't bleeping care if they fall and bleeping break their GD neck. They said the whole thing, right? I'm tempted to say, don't go down to their level. And you hear all these people, oh, don't stoop down to their level. I'm going to tell you, and you know me after 80 plus episodes here. Sometimes getting into the mud is the only way you need to deal with some people in the safety world. You have to get down into the mud sometimes, but realize that you might have to deal with some dire consequences if you do. Sometimes you gain some respect, most of the time you don't. Most of the time you're working against yourself. However, you need to know when to do it and when not to. So with those two guys earlier in the story that I shared, I had to get into the mud on a couple of things with them. I got zero, uh, zero support from any management or anything else. And one of the individuals openly confronted me in front of about 100 people just to try to put me in the place. And I ended up turning it around on him in a professional way, of course. This was the turning point for me with the workforce. A workforce that respected me even years later because I wasn't like the other safety professionals. I had backbone unlike a lot of the other people at that facility and in that environment. I was lucky because, and I was very lucky in this situation because I got more work out of standing up to these people because I became a client advocate and a workforce advocate against 
baloney safety policies and baloney incentives. I also warned the same safety guy that gave me these issues and he was being set up. And if he didn't change his antagonistic ways and attitude, he would suffer these consequences and wouldn't be by my own hand. Other people were trying to set him up. Nothing from what I would do. So what do you think his response was? He ignored me and he antagonized people even more. Sure enough, about two weeks later, he was set up and was unceremoniously removed from the project by management. The end result was the facility took years to get over the antics of those two safety professionals. In some way, safety professionals never got over it at that facility. And the workforce still remembered them until everybody retired and moved on or what have you that weren't there. But the company will never work with that facility again, the company that they work for. And they missed out on years of revenue. I'm talking millions and millions of dollars because of two people and their antagonistic behavior. So it's in the company's best interest to try to manage people like this. Well, how do I conclude? Let's move into the conclusion here after all this. You need to develop leadership skills, the ways of dealing with stuff that are constructive. Don't go down into the mud unless you absolutely have to. If you're new to the profession, give yourself a break. And don't expect to have all these policies and procedures and comebacks and all this stuff automatically. It takes years of experience. That's what life experience is and everything else. You need to be easy on yourself. If you make a mistake, make the mistake and move on. Check back on here. We have a lot of resources. We have several strategies and podcasts. I'm probably going to redo them uh, for the people in the new year. One of them is pushbacks faced by safety professionals. If you are able to get to know what to expect from people, what kind of pushback, what kind of responses, what kind of anything, you're going to be better able to manage it in the future. And you're going to be able to fight that safety war. For Safety Wars, this is Jim Polzel. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.